Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. And, uh, we're we're going to talk today about the idea of Easter and how Easter was this concept that the world has never seen, that God turned a grave into a garden. Are you guys ready to go? If you get bored today, you're boring. Because I'm not a boring preacher. Can I get an amen? And if you fall asleep, you have narcolepsy. Because this is not a sleepy church. So uh, with your Bibles open today, let's read this together. John chapter 20. We're going to read about the resurrection. Some of you read this last year when you were here. Uh, John chapter 20. Fuck, every time I go to church, they're reading this verse. Then come more than Easter. It's a secret. Verse 1, now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went and came to the tomb early. Say it with me, early. It was still dark. Saul, the stone had been taken away from the tomb. She ran and came to Peter. This is Mary, the woman that was formerly demon-possessed, right? She came running, and she ran and came to Simon Simon Peter and the other disciple to whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb. We do not know where they have led him. John, who actually writes the book of John, would go on to brag about how he beat Peter in a foot race. He was a little humble brag there. And in verse 11, it says, when they got to the tomb, it says, Mary stood outside of the tomb, weeping. As she wept, she stood down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lain. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? They said because, she said, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. I believe the number one reason why we grieve in life is over the sadness. Uh, I wrote it down like this. Sadness is, it, grief is sadness that we feel when we lose intimacy with someone we love. She was grieving because of the sadness that she felt over the intimacy with God that she would lose. And it says, when she said this to them, She turned around and saw Jesus standing there. She didn't know it was Jesus. So Jesus said to her, woman, which you know it's Jesus because he's the only one that gets away with saying that. (laughs) Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She supposed him to be the gardener. The gardener. Sir, where have you carried away? Where'd you take him? Where have you laid him? I'll take him away from you. Jesus said, Mary. She goes, oh my gosh, teacher. Jesus said, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and to your father and to my God and to your God. And Mary came, became the first preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Genesis, real quick, Genesis chapter 2, we'll read this, we'll pray real quick, and then I'm going to tell you a story or two, and then we will jump in, and I'm going to leave Easter this morning with a greater understanding that Jesus and the gospel is a message of graves that become gardens. You guys ready? Genesis chapter 2, let's read this early passage of scripture. It says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 8, the Lord God planted a garden. What did he plant? How many of God is a gardener? He planted a garden. East eastward in Eden, and there he put man whom he had formed. 
Out of the ground, the Lord made every tree, right? goes on. And in verse 15, it says, Then the Lord took the man, put him in the garden of Eden. Here's the purpose of it. To tend the garden and to keep the garden. To tend the garden and to keep the garden. The original vocation of humanity was gardeners. And it wasn't just a gardener. It was pretty much an architect of civilization. I love the fact that throughout history, God usually doesn't give us things that are fully developed. When you ask him for a chair, unless you were living during Jesus' day, he doesn't usually give chairs. He gives forest. And I believe that when it comes to uh, influencing the world, he always starts in seed form. Let's pray this morning. I'm going to talk to you about graves out of guard. You ready? Father, we just love you today. We're so grateful for what you're doing in Ocean's Church. We thank you that you are alive, that you came out of the grave. I ask you to meet us today where we are, whether we're a first-time guest or we come every single week. I thank you for my friends that even uh, told us the other day that so many of them, Lord, I met, I met about eight people that have come out of even um, uh, Judaism, Lord, that have had encounters with you in our church. God, atheists every week that go, man, God is in this place, that have turned their hearts to you. And even today, I just pray whether we're skeptical or we're convinced, meet us where we are. Would you fill us with your sweet Holy Spirit, with your presence? Let us have an awesome Easter Sunday. In Jesus' name, we pray for another championship for the Lakers. Everybody say it. Amen. Amen. I'm not really uh, outdoorsy. I'm more indoorsy. Anybody in Orange County relate? Anybody else married to a woman that thinks camping is called montage? It's not camping, babe. It's called refinancing your house. That's what that's called. I'm not outdoorsy. I'm not handy. I would surprise you with my lack of handiness. I am the opposite of handy. Uh, I'm not good working with my hands. I was talking to my friend yesterday, Ray's, my barber, and her husband, Sean, is amazing. He's a carpenter. I'm like, my wife would be in trouble if I had to assemble anything. I mean, Ikea sends me to my knees praying. This guy's making stuff out of scratch, you know, lumber and steel. I'm like, my gosh, pray for me. I'm not handy. Uh, I discovered how handy I wasn't when we bought our first house. Uh, some of you heard the story about me getting electrocuted installing a dimmer switch. This is a big deal for me, guys. I had no idea until the flathead screwdriver was landing on my toenail that you're supposed to turn the power off when you're playing with wires on the wall. I'm not, I'm not a handy. Uh, I'm certainly not a green thumb. Uh, we bought our second house, and they said, uh, you can put the landscaping in yourself, or you can pay us to do it. I'm like, does it save money? I'll do it myself. I'm like, I'm young. I have a strong young back. I'm spry. And so I, uh, I bought all these plants from the garden shop. I came home. I had no idea that our house was built over a former lava spill. Our yard was full of rocks. Like, you dig an inch, it was like rock, another inch, rock. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is the worst ever. This is maybe the worst thing you can do with your life is try to dig in a rock-infested yard. Remember planting all these plants in our backyard, and I'm just thinking, man, this is, this is brutal. Thankfully, in Idaho, you only care about your yard two months out of the year. It's frozen tundra the rest of the year. People are like, I'm moving to Idaho, you get a big house. You better have a big house. You're going to be living in it your whole life. <laughs> better be monstrous, because you're not going to go outdoors, except six weeks out of the year. I... I'm not good at working with my, my hand. I'm not, a, I'm not a green thumb. But for some reason, even though I'm not into gardening, God seems to be obsessed with it. 
God, God from Genesis through Revelations, there is garden after garden after garden after garden. I started studying this week how God is so intrigued with gardens. If some of you are brand new and you're like, what's Christianity all about? Pretty much summarized, the first three chapters of the Bible tell us the purpose, the design, and the intent of God. Adam screws everything up in the garden. And in the garden of bliss, he disobeys and leads us to agony. And Jesus, in the garden of agony, obeys and leads us to flourishing. 1,189 chapters in the Bible. Three of them were about God's desires. 1,186 was God getting us back to the beginning. In some ways, Christianity is about going back to the future. The future is going back to the, the past. And Michael J. Fox is in there somewhere. I, I love this idea that throughout the Bible, God was obsessed with gardens. I heard one scholar, Joe Dierte, said, life is a garden, you have to dig it. Tough crowd. I was reading this last night. I always try to do some research on gardens. And essentially gardens, they say to be a proper gardener, you have to have three components. Number one, you have to have a location and a climate that's conducive. A location and a climate that is conducive. If you're going to grow anything, it has to be the right location and the right climate. The second thing you have to have is a size or a shape of the plot. you got to know where you're going to put that thing that you're planting. And finally, this is what I learned from Gardening from Dummies, the great scholar Wikipedia last night, is gardening requires the gardener has to have adequate time to maintain what's planted. I thought to myself, I'm so grateful that Mary thought he was the gardener because he is. Jesus is the only one that has all of eternity to take care of, of, the, of the seeds that he sows in the lives of his sons and his daughters. He's a gardener. Christianity is a story about God coming not as the first gardener, but as the second. What the first gardener lost in the Garden of Eden, God restores in the garden called Calvary. And I want to prove it to you today that there's five gardens, five major gardens in the Bible and maybe you're atheist, you're skeptical today. Maybe you've never had an encounter with God. And maybe like Mary, you've never declared, I have seen the Lord. But I would tell you today that regardless of who you are, everyone lies in one of the gardens today, maybe more than one garden. The Bible speaks of five gardens. I want to give them to you today. Five major gardens. And the first being the Garden of Eden, which was the Garden of Rebellion. I want you to know that no one in this room or online chose what garden you were born into. The Bible says through one gardener's disobedience, one, one man's disobedience, all of us were born into that fallen state from the beginning of Eden. We know the story that Eden had, Eden had four things in the garden. Eden had Satan in it. Eden had sin in it. Eden had sorrow, and it had separation from God. When the fall of humanity took place, Four things happened. Satan entered in a powerful way. Sin came in a, in, a, in a potent way. Sorrow filled Adam and Eve, and they were separated from God. I want you to know that no one in this tent chose to grow up being stingy, selfish, and being born into a fallen nature. Some progressives today, they argue, well, we're pretty much good, and occasionally we do bad. That is not theologically sound. We were born under a fallen nature. That's not true. I don't believe that. Well, then look at your kids. 
Have you noticed you have not taught, you have to teach your kids how to be bad? And if you have, let them hang out with my kids. They will disciple yours. You don't have to teach kids how to be stingy, selfish, and to not share. What is the first word in almost every kid's language? Mine. Mine, 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 mine. It's like, no, share, share, share. Eden is the condition we're born into that we are selfish, but Calvary is the place that we're born again and we become selfless. I promise you today, some of you, you're like, Mark, how do you know if you're in the Garden of Eden still, spiritually? You're in a place that you feel like Satan has victory over you. You're in a place that you feel like sin is ruling your life, that sorrow is filling your heart, and you feel, quote-unquote, distant from God. I would give you an invitation today that you don't have to die in that garden. That Jesus died in a new garden so that you don't have to die in the old garden. Come on, I feel like preaching a little bit today. Can I get an amen? If I can't get a Pentecostal amen, I'll take a Baptist head nod. You can give me a Presbyterian eyebrow raise or a Latter-day Saint deep breath. Come on, give me something. Some people today got to know this, that you do not have to die in the garden of Satan, sin, sorrow, and separation. Jesus went to the cross to be close to you. You know what's killing people in America today in the, in, in the spiritual world? is secondhand Christianity. Secondhand smoke kills people, but not as many as secondhand Christianity. Secondhand Christianity is the idea that you're living in the smoke of someone else's fire. Jesus went to the cross because he has no stepchildren. Jesus has no grandkids. Jesus went to the cross to get full custody of all of his kids. Can I get a good amen? Think about that. Jesus has no grandkids. Only kids. He has no second tier, in, and that's why I believe in a God that we all have access to. I don't need a priest to hear God for me. I can go boldly by myself to the throne of grace. I'm not against people that pray for me, but I'm certainly, I'm glad that I have personal access. And today, some of you don't realize that you are living under the rule of a dark power called the Satan, the, under, a, under a darkness of sin. What do you mean sin? It, I don't serve sin. No, you are in bondage, and you can't stop doing what you're doing, even though you know it's not right. Friend, you are in a garden called the Old Eden. And I believe that Jesus wants you to know today that there is other gardens that you can live in, be a part of. There is new fruit that you can grow in your life, that you don't have to grow the fruit of Satan. You don't have to grow the fruit, the fruit of sin, sorrow, and separation from God. How do you know? Because the second garden we see in the Bible, beyond the garden of, of, of a rebellion in Eden where, where Adam disobeyed God. And by the way, some people say, Mark, why does God curse people? Cursing is very simple definition. A curse is the consequence of disobedience. That's all it is. The curse is the consequence of disobedience. And it's very simple. God doesn't cause bad things to happen to people. But when we do A plus B, it equals C. Many people have a problem with God because they go, well, why, why is God so mean? He's not mean, but every king has rules, and every ruler has rules. Listen to me. Religion tries to get you to adhere to rules by the outward man to please the inward God. But Christianity comes on the inside of man and changes the actions of the outside of man. 
You can spell all world religions with, with uh, two letters, D-O, do. Do this, and God will do that. Do this, and God will do that. Do, do, be a better person. Do more good deeds than bad deeds. The good hath to outweigh the bad. Do, 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 do. But the Bible comes on the scene, and Christianity spells a little bit different. It spells it the same first two letters, D-O, but then it adds that N-E. Done. Jesus somehow does on the cross what we could not do for ourselves. He finishes, and on the cross, he shouts, it is. Why is it finished? Because he does what we cannot do. Many religions leave Jesus still on the cross. It is done. He's off of it. He came out of the grave. He went into the, there was Good Friday, there was Sad Saturday, but there was an exciting Sunday. And some of you today don't know this because you're still in the garden of old Eden. And maybe you're not in Eden today, but maybe you're in, you're in Gethsemane still. Gethsemane is usually the place that we're in right before we experience redemption. Gethsemane is the place where we are literally like Jesus. Jesus was in agony, he was arrested, and he was abandoned. This is a place of Jesus' greatest hurt through betrayal, but it was also the greatest place of God's surrender to the Father. I believe the Garden of Gethsemane is the garden in which we are okay with loving our enemies and surrendering to our God. Many people never receive the Holy Spirit because they never let go of the unforgiveness that's in their heart. Notice even in John it says, Jesus breathed on his disciples, said, peace be with you, He breathed on him to receive the Holy Spirit. And notice what he says there. He says, make sure you forgive your enemies. There's something about forgiveness that that gives a runway for God to land in. And I believe some of you are stuck in Gethsemane, not because you can't surrender to God, but because you cannot forgive your Judases. There's something about saying, God, I forgive Judas. And there's something in letting go of what people have done to you that lets God let go of the forgiveness that he paid for in your life. We're going to be a church, come on, Oceans, that doesn't just pray to surrender to God, but to release the debt, the trespasses of our Judases. People don't realize that unforgiveness does not harm the victim that caused it to you. We've heard it said many times that being unforgiving is like drinking poison and expecting the person you're mad at to die. He doesn't die. Only you do. And when you say forgive, it's two words it's from. It's for, give. For means in favor of. Giving means to let go or to, or to, to release. There, praise the Lord. When you're in favor of releasing something, you're acting in the place of God's kindness. Some of you today, you don't realize that you're stuck in old Eden because you've never gotten out of Gethsemane. But there is a third garden, friends. This garden is powerful. It's called the Garden of, of, of Golgotha. It's called the Garden of Calvary. The Garden of Calvary is the Garden of Redemption. Say with me, redemption. You know what this garden is like? It's the place that we experience Jesus dying in our place. I'm so excited because we serve a God out of the 4,500 religions in the world. We serve the only deity that does not, does not have a permanent residence in the dirt. He's the only one that came out of his tomb. Do you know that Jesus wasn't the only person to come out of the de- out of the grave? But he is the only one that didn't go back into the grave when he came out of it. Lazarus came back to life, but he died again. 
the widow's son of Nain came out of the grave, but he, he died again. Elisha brought someone back to life. The apostle Paul fell on a man. Peter brought someone back from the dead. All of those people that came back to life, but they died again. Jesus is the only one that died, came back to life, and never died again. He didn't have a resurrect, he didn't have a resuscitated body, he had a resurrected body. There is a difference. Resuscitated, resuscitated bodies were the same body that you died with. Resurrected bodies are different. It says that Jesus floated through the wall. When we get to heaven, if I run out of ice cream, I'm going to float through your walls. Be like, you got some, come on, Tom and Jerry's, I'm coming over. You can't keep me out. Resurrected bodies are different. Are you hearing me today? I promise you, friends, that this is so true, that God is the God that wants us to know that at Calvary, theologians call it the substitutionary atonement, that God covers the debt of humanity, that there is a vicarious atonement, that Jesus doesn't just die for you, he dies as you to invite you. This is the good news of Christianity, is that we do not come to Jesus upon completion of a deed, rather a confession of a need. I am in need of someone fulfilling what is perfect. I can't do it on my own. And I don't care if you have everything materially, there are some things in life you cannot deal with. Sin is one of them. All of us are in need of a savior. Some people are arrogant, they say Christianity is for the weak. I think it's for the strong. Because to acknowledge that you're not, you're not everything that you need doesn't make you weak. The Bible says in your weakness, his strength is made perfect and some of you are living weak because you're not embracing his strength today we serve a God that wants to redeem us on the in the garden of Calvary John 19 41 says there was a garden in that place where he was crucified you ever thought about why in the world would there be a garden where Jesus was crucified because everything in the Bible is pushing back to the original garden and in revelations the end garden the new Jerusalem says there is a garden there with a tree. There's so much imagery in Revelations that is connecting us to Genesis. He says there is a tree of knowledge in the, in the new Jerusalem. It says that in the, new, in the new garden, it says there's a river that flows through it. Throughout history, God has been trying to get us back to the original condition of humanity. That we walk with God. Come on, we are naked and unashamed. Scholars say there was no calories in the beginning. Because there is no shame with their naked bodies. It's a good message. I'm telling you today, there was a garden called Calvary that we re received redemption. And I want to bring our attention to the last few minutes we have together today. The last two gardens, I believe, are the gardens we're supposed to live in. It's called the Garden of Reception. When you receive God as your gardener, I am my, my bridegroom's garden. Song of Solomon chapter 4, if you want to you want to have a great honeymoon, read Song of Solomon. Don't read it till you're engaged. Joking. Song of Solomon chapter 4 is powerful. It talks about in Song of Solomon chapter 4 about how there's a, a north wind, a south wind. It says that God's wind begins to come on, come upon the garden. And it says, all these spices flow out of the garden. Watch what it says. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its pleasant fruits. Song of Solomon chapter 4 is this idea that God is the bridegroom, that we are God's garden, and we have the opportunity to actually welcome Him like a reception. 
and say, God, I am your garden. Sow whatever seeds you want to sow. I'll grow whatever you're sowing. Water however you want to water. Let your sunlight shine on me. The truth is most people don't realize that Jesus came into the world to start a new Eden. To actually, the church is the new Eden. Christians are the new Eden. Jesus is the new Adam. And he came to tend and to keep your life. That's what he does. The Bible says that he sows good seeds. What are the seeds? The word of God. You read the parables, right? Some seed fell on good soil, some bad soil, shallow soil. Some seeds fell amongst the weeds. What is the seed? The seed is God's word. And let me tell you something about the seed. The seed doesn't change. You ever wonder why it says the seed fell? Some produce 30, some produce 60 fold, and some produce a hundred fold. Can I ask you a question? Was the seed different? Then why did some seed produce more than other seed? Could it be that the quality of the soil of your heart determines the flourishing of your soul? And when your heart is closed to God, it's hard for Him to produce abundant life. You live jaded. You live cynical. You live critical. You live blogging about churches. I'll tell you right now, it is much easier to critique than it is to create. Some of you think you're mature Christians because you critique the church. That's easy, friends. I can go to the nicest restaurants in Laguna Beach and write a nasty article about why it wasn't up to my standards. Critiquing is easy. Critiquing's for chumps. Creating is for the mature. Creating is going, God, would you please sow your seeds into my life? I don't want to produce weeds. Some of you, the only seeds you're producing are seeds called doubt, seeds called hate, seeds called selfishness, seeds called perversion. You know why? Because that's the only thing that you're sowing. You know why I love God's house? Because God sows his seeds. And I'm telling you that if you'll open up your heart and say, God, I'm going to throw your reception. This is the garden of reception. God, sow your seeds. I believe that God is the great sower. And when the seeds come into my life, you know what you need? You need God's seeds. Write it down. I need God's seeds. What else do I need? Some of you go, well, I, I can't grow God's seeds. I'm too dirty. That makes sense. You know what I love about gardeners? Is they're not scared of dirt. You know the difference between a grave and a garden? Let me tell you. Graves are a bunch of dirt that house death. Gardens is a bunch of dirt that houses life. What you do with Jesus determines if you're going to be a grave or you're going to be a garden. Good spot for an amen right there. I'm not going to be a grave. I'm going to be a garden. Gardeners are welcomed in the garden. And God, I honor you today as the master gardener of Oceans Church. Would you sow the seeds that you want to grow in Orange County? Would you grow seeds of faith, of hope, of love? Would you grow the seeds of revival and spiritual awakening? In a time where darkness and division is covering our land, would you unite us according to your word? Would you unite us according to your love? God, would you sow the seeds of eternal life? I'm telling you that if you'll open up to the gardener, he'll sow his seeds. He'll use your dirt. I've never seen any seed come out of the ground that didn't go through some dirt. Some of you are like, Mark, my life is dirty. You know what it is? It's God getting ready to break through. God always uses dirt. Years ago, I had the revelation that 
that I was offended at God. God, you are God. You could have made me out of any precious metal. You could have made human beings out of alloy, out of titanium, out of tungsten, out of, out of rubies, out of gold, out of silver. Why dirt? Sometimes we look, to, we look down upon dirt because it's everywhere. But I would go on the record to say that dirt is one of the most precious resources on the planet. Do you know that man was made out of the dust? And it was out of the dirt. You know why? Because dirt is the only substance that can grow a seed. You can't grow seeds in metal. All of science can't reproduce the nourishment and the power of dirt. And I want you to know today that everything that God made came out of the dirt. Today, we are God's gardener, and he's not scared of your dirt. I would go on the record to say the stinkier your dirt is, we call it fertilizer. Some of you had a really stinky 2020. I'm going to keep it PG-13. Is that all right? But I would tell you this today, that that dirt that stinks can work as God's fertilizer. We come to God with our stink, and we let him put his seeds in our stinky circumstances. And what happens? It begins to grow. Every seed needs dirt. Every seed needs water. The Bible says in Ephesians that he waters us according to his word. You know what? You want to know why you feel so good at church? Because you're being watered with God's words. And not only do you need water, you know what you need? You need sunlight. You know what the God is? God is the sun. The Bible says if I be, I be lifted up, I would draw all men unto myself. I'm telling you that God's presence, when you worship him, it becomes sunlight to your soul. You know why you sing and all of a sudden you start feeling better? It's because when you begin to lift him up high, it's like putting his sunlight up in your life. And it starts casting the shadows out. And that sunlight, we had trees in our backyard and two of them were in the sun. And two of them that were in the sun, they were on a slope so all the water from the yard would flow onto those trees. You know what I noticed? Trees that are in the sun more and trees that get more water grow faster. You want to know why some of you are the same size as you were last Easter? Because you haven't been in any of God's sunlight. You haven't received any of God's water. And I would tell you this day, even men in this place, you know what I felt the Lord tell me this week? He said, Mark, this will be the Easter. You know what happened the first Easter? A sad Saturday came and all the men were mourning in an upper room behind locked doors. The men were hiding and the women were visiting the tomb. And I heard the Lord say, no longer will men hide. We got to stop hiding, men, our faith, our boldness, and our allegiance to our God. God is summonsing Orange County to have bold, godly men. We're not going to let the women do all the work of the ministry. God's raising up some righteous men. God's raising up some men that aren't scared to get baptized in front of their kids. To say, you know, my wife's been praying for our kids and our business. It's time that I start praying for my kids. Are you hearing me today? Man, it's no, no longer time to hide in the garden. It's time to invite him in. His sunlight, his water. God, embrace my dirt. He is the God that causes growth when we give him our gardens. And as I wrap this up today, are you still with me today? Who will give me five more minutes? Five more minutes, raise your hand. Five, 10, 15, that's all I think. We serve a God. You know what he does? He loves you so much. He won't just grow you. He'll start pruning you. You know what's funny? One of the funny statements I hear as a pastor is they go, I'd be people to go like, I would go to church, but sometimes it makes me feel uncomfortable. So I stopped going. 
I'm like, I wish I could use that logic with exercise. I wish I could tell my trainer, look, dude, I, I would have been there. But you know, last time I came, I sweated. And uh, quite frankly, I didn't, I didn't appreciate the way you made me put up those dumbbells. Listen, Gemini. My favorite machine at your gym is the vending machine, okay, buddy? And I'm not coming back until you stop eating the weights and you stop making me sweat. I wonder what Orange County would look like if people embraced the conviction of God the way they embraced uh, tension and stress in the gym. What if we took care of our spirit the way that we took care of our bodies? What would it look like if we had spiritual goals like we have physical goals? I'm not throwing rocks, I'm not throwing shade. I'm just saying, some of us, we make more natural goals. You got a six pack in the natural, but you got, come on, you got rolls on your rolls in the spirit. Some of you got more spiritual rolls than a bakery. Come on, somebody. I'm telling you, jokes. I'm telling you that we have to be a church that gets in spiritual shape. Can I get an amen? We're gonna be a church that lets God prune us. I wanna, I wanna make the difference. Churches that condemn you lead you to no hope. The devil condemns, listen to me, the Spirit of God convicts. Here is the major difference. Condemnation makes you feel down and gives you no hope to change. You should just stop going to church. You're never gonna be like them. You're never gonna be pure. Why even try to quit? You're never gonna be able to do it. That's condemnation. Conviction's different. Conviction says, you can come higher and I can help you. The Holy Spirit says, you know what? You don't need to do that this week. Can I ask you a question? If God can't convict you and challenge you in church, where can he? I pray that this is the church you go to, that your sins come to die. I pray that when you come in here with a bad agenda to have an affair this week, to cheat on something this week, to do something illegal this week, to go back to old habits and old drugs this week, I pray that God put some fire under you. I pray. Sometimes we change faster when we feel the heat than when we see the light. And I pray that God's conviction would come and say, you know what, you don't need to do that. You're gonna sabotage your marriage. You'll ruin your kids. You'll screw your business up. Do not go there. You can change and I can help you. That is the power of our gardener. He can clip branches off your life that you don't need. I'm no green thumb, but I know this. When I was pruning my trees, you know what I did? My rule of thumb when I pruned is I cut off any branch that wasn't growing vertical. If it was growing towards the ground, I'm like, the thing's gonna go. And listen to me, unpruned trees are deformed looking trees. Some of you, you don't like the correction of God, but here's the good news, God only corrects his kids. So every time you feel the correction of the Most High, you know that you are his son, you know you are his daughter. And even though it's a little bit painful in the moment, God, thank you that I'm yours. So I had this revelation, God does not correct kids that don't belong to him. If you do that, you'll end up in jail. You're in the airport, boy, you better stop it. Start yelling at strangers' kids. My dad used to do this thing when I was in a restaurant when I was a kid, he would shake his belt buckle at me. I was six, but I knew that that meant he'll tattoo that on my butt if I don't stop whatever I'm doing. 
in airports, I don't shake my belt buckle at kids. Hey, hey, little guy. Let me tell you why. You don't discipline strangers' kids. You know why God convicts you sometimes? Why he prunes you sometimes? Because you belong to him. And I wish the church would embrace more of the Holy Spirit's conviction. Because the truth is, my, 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 what I grieve today in America, especially in California, is we have a lot of gifted Christians, but we don't have a lot of godly Christians. You know what the Holy Spirit likes to do? It's gonna blow your mind, you ready? He likes to make you holy. When you start losing the desire to cuss, and start losing the desire to watch bad things, and be angry, and lie, and steal, and cheat, and kill, all those things that we do, Maybe not kill it. It's another level. <laughs> this guy knows my name. <laughs> Turn yourself in after. Okay. Well, <laughs> we, uh, we, uh, <laughs> love church. I, uh, I don't know where I was going with that. We serve a God that loves us enough to correct us when we need it. Someone say, prune me. Jesus said in John 15 that any tree that bears fruit is any tree. If you're, if you're fruitful, I'll prune you. And here's the heart of God, that you might produce more fruit. You know why God loves gardens so much? Because he loves fruit. Do you know what God loves in human, humans' lives? He loves it when you don't just exist. He loves it when you produce fruit that feeds a hungry world. God is raising up a generation of men and women that will let him sow his seeds into their hearts. That they'll be disciplined, let them water and the sunlight to come into their life. Read their Bible, pray, worship Him. Start growing in the things of God, busting out of the fertilizer. Producing fruit that fills a hungry world. I believe today that God wants to come as the gardener that we can actually receive, have a, the garden of reception that leads us to the last garden. Can I give you one more garden? We'll, we'll close. The last garden I want to share with you today is the garden that we're all headed to. It's called the Garden of Rejoicing. It's kind of an unusual garden that we discover in Luke 23, verse 43. You know the story, it's about Jesus. He's crucified next to two guys. This guy's a murderer. This guy's a murderer. They're making fun of him. And one of the guys looks at the guy on the right and goes, Hey, stop making fun of Jesus. He goes, We deserve to be here. He doesn't. That's what he says. Watch me, I'm almost done. He says, Lord, this is, this is the most audacious prayer I can find in the New Testament. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, I don't know a lot, but I know this. To remember someone, you have to have a previous memory. This guy's audacious. It is likely that this, this thief never went to church, never prayed, never tithed, never went on a missions trip, never read his Bible, but had the audacity to use the word remember. Now, if I was Jesus, I would have been like, remember what? Remember that you haven't had time for me your whole life? It's interesting that Jesus doesn't respond like we would. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he says, surely I say to you, today you will be with me. Paradise. You know what the word paradise is? Garden. Jesus reveals a garden that transcends this life. It means park, it means garden, it means eternal blessedness. I believe there is a garden. There is a life after this life. 
Some of you are judging the goodness of God based upon a temporary life and not out of the gauge of all of eternity. You might have had a bad year, but that doesn't make God bad in eternity. He is a good God. And I want you to know today as I close this up that we have a guarantee of eternity today. You know what it is? It's called the Holy Spirit. The person of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, is the guarantee of our inheritance according to Colossians or Ephesians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says that he is the guarantee that he has given us the spirit in our hearts as the guarantee. The guarantee of what? That we're going to heaven one day. Scholars refer to God giving us the Holy Spirit as giving us the earnest money of eternity. It's the substance of what's to come. That's why when he shows up and he starts healing, you start feeling a peace that's out of this world. End of the service right now, you start getting healed in your bodies. You go, what the heck is happening? You're experiencing a kingdom that's not from this world. It's here. Jesus, is, his spirit is here. And listen to me very clearly, Orange County, because you believe in God the Father and God the Son. Many have never believed in God the Holy Spirit. He's not weird. And if you come back to our church next week, you're going to find out more about the Holy Spirit. But I would tell you that living like Jesus without the Holy Spirit is impossible. You will never live like Jesus without the Spirit of Jesus. Just like you'll never play the piano like Bach without having the Spirit of Bach. Never paint like Michelangelo without Michelangelo's Spirit. And you will never live like Jesus without the Spirit of Jesus. Well, I don't even believe that He died. Listen, if He didn't resurrect, no one would know His name. Corinthians says in chapter 15, 1 Corinthians says that over 500 people saw Him. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians, it was 25 years after the resurrection. He said 40 days over 500 people saw Jesus after he came out of the grave. He's not dead, friends. He's alive. As I close this up, I would wonder today, would you be willing to get out of the old Garden of Eden? Stop letting darkness dominate your life. Get out of the Garden of Gethsemane being angry at people and not surrendering to God. Men, next week I'm calling all men that have never been water baptized or got baptized a long time ago to make a public profession of your faith. And we're going to baptize tons of people next Sunday. It says that he died, he was buried, and he rose again. You know why the burial is important? Because the burial represents baptism. Some of you need to have a public baptism because it's a public profession that God gets me out of my old life. Fill it. Stand your feet with me. I feel something in here. He is the gardener. He is the gardener. Anybody believe that God can start a garden in your life? Anybody want to welcome the God to get rid of the get rid of the grave and come on, bring in the garden? Anybody here? Come on, all over the tents. You want to invite God today to put something new in your life. If you'd be willing to say, Holy Spirit, I am your garden. Jesus, I am your garden. God the Father. observation she thought he was the gardener of the land but she missed an observation that he's actually the gardener of her soul Jesus tends and keeps every garden that's opened up to him if you're here today all over the tents can I just pray for you right now how many would say Mark I would love it I give God permission today to sow a new seed how many want God to put some of his seeds in your garden would you lift your hands anybody invite God to come on make something out of your fertilizer come on lift your hands 
Anybody in a dirty situation that God wants to use? Lift your hands. Maybe you're here today, you need God's water. Lift your hands. You need God's sunlight. Lift your hands. You need God to prune you today. Come on, lift your hands. Lord, we lift our hands as an act of surrender. That you are the gardener. That we are your garden. You're faithful. Faithful God. Faithful God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Holy Spirit, come right now in Jesus' name. I pray for anyone that needs healing in their body. I pray that you'd remove the weeds of cancer. I pray you'd remove the weeds of diabetes. I pray that you'd remove the weeds of autoimmune issues. I pray even, Lord, those that have weeds of parasites and tumors and, and, and even gross and, and, and funguses. I pray whatever the weed is, skin conditions. Holy Spirit, would you remove the weeds? Master gardener, we surrender to you. Make us rejoice. Holy Spirit, put your hands down for a moment. Can I ask you all over the tents today? If you're here and you say, Mark, if I'm being very honest in church, I'm not living my life for Jesus or with Jesus. Maybe you walked in today as a skeptic. Maybe you're watching online as an atheist. Something's intriguing you. Your heart's actually speeding up right now. You feel like God is almost pointing you out of the crowd. You feel singled out, not in a bad way, but in a good way. God's love is coming after you. See, you can run from God. You just can't outrun God. And if you're here today, and you know what it's like to live life without Him, and you're ready to start a new chapter of your life, living life with Him, we're going to make a stand today. As for me, as for my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to stand with God. I'm going to stand for God. I'm going to be His servant. I'm going to be His coworker. I want to invite God into my garden. If that's you all over today, online and in the room, there was many last service. If you're here today, and for the first time you want to say, God, would you be my gardener? Or if you're here today and you say, I want to rededicate my life and invite God back into the garden of my world. I want you to raise your hands all over these tents. I want you to write H-E-A-R-T if you're watching online. And I pray right now in Jesus Christ's name on the count of three, everyone that needs to respond to heaven, everyone that needs to invite the Holy Spirit and the gardener into their life, I ask they would respond today. I pray to count of three. One all over these tents, all over online. No one would miss the, this moment. Two, draw all men to yourself. If you know that today's the day to get right with God, come on, I want you to lift your hands and invite them into your garden. Come on, three, real high, real high. That's me, that's me, that's me. All over the tent. One, two, three, four, five, six, real high. Seven, eight, wow. Nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, three, four. Yeah, 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 real high. 25, real high. Six, seven, eight. 29, 30, 31, real high. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. Listen to me. This is not dead religion. This is inviting God to a real relationship. I believe that you're real. I invite you to fill me, speak to me, water me, and prune me. Grow me, make me fruitful from here out. You're one of those 31 plus people, probably four or five at least online. I want you to pray this prayer today all over the room, all over online. Say, Jesus. Come on, try it out. Say, Jesus. I declare I serve a God that came out of the grave. So I invite you to fill me, heal me, forgive me, water me, and prune me. Make me fruitful. The life I live, I want to live by faith in Jesus who died for me because you live
I live in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. I believe someone just got healed. Someone has an issue like with your pancreas. God's healing it right now. I believe insulin levels are going to change. God's going to change even how your body regulates sugar. I pray, Lord, for the diabetic here today. I pray for the person. There's someone that has like severe scar tissue in your rib cage. I don't know if it's some, some, some crazy trauma you experienced growing up. Maybe even when you were a child. God's going to remove the pain of that, of that scar tissue in your ribs. I pray today for everyone that needs healing. I just want you to be favor. If you need healing in your body, put your hand on your heart right now. And I want you to declare this by faith today that God can heal you. You ready? If you need healing today, all over this room, with your hand on your heart, say, Jesus, I believe. Heal me. And let everybody know that you're still alive. In Jesus' name. Come on, if you receive it, it doesn't take long. Just say, I receive it now. Give my hand clap on credit if you believe it. I love you. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.